Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Jesus' response to this must have been striking to people. It seems irrational to walk into a situation that seems so hopeless and say there's still life to be had here. And we at New Life want to look like Jesus, and we don't want to become so accustomed to death that we no longer see vision for life. We accomplish this through our comprehensive and holistic approach through our three primary programs. So our, in New Life Adoptions, we seek to pair amazing Christian families with parents who have made the selfless, selfless decision to place a child for adoption. Many birth parents believe that they'll never see their child again um, once they place for adoption, but New Life knows that God's vision for family is big enough for both birth parents and adoptive families. With services for both birth parents and adoptive families, since 1980, we've facilitated over 820 unique adoptions, proving God still has life to bring in difficult situations. Through our post-abortion support program called Conquerors, we see women and men who have been suffering in shame for their past abortions for 10, 20, or even 40-plus years find hope and healing. Currently, one in four women will have an abortion by age 45, and over 40% of those women were attending church at the time of their abortion. Many thought they would never feel hope again, but New Life shares with them through our biblical curriculum that no situation is too far for forgiveness, healing, and grace through Jesus. We know abortion has potentially touched some of us in this room, and we want to offer a safe place to process with women who can relate to your experience. Conquers offers individual mentoring and group-based classes um, each year. We believe there is still life to be lived here. And finally, in our first care pregnancy centers, which is the part I'm most familiar with, we um, walk with those facing unplanned pregnancies with compassion and love. Not only do we walk with men and women during their pregnancies, speaking hope um, in belief that they will choose life, but we also... Um, serve them in their parenting journey through our parenting education program. Our parenting education program gives us continual and long-term relationships with our clients as we share parenting tips, articles, and provide material and relational support. Through our pregnancy centers, we distribute more than 70,000 diapers each year as we believe with our clients there's life to be lived with them. At New Life, we don't want to become accustomed to death. We want a renewed vision this year in 2020 to see like Jesus does in every single circumstance, even if it seems hopeless, to still see life. Our prayer for each individual we serve is not only that they would choose life, but that they would know the hope in Christ Jesus. We want to ask um, God for a renewed vision for this year and that in your own circles you would take the opportunities to speak and give life. And this could look um, like four different ways to be involved um, with us through volunteering, prayer, donations, and spreading the word about our services. Come and chat with me out in the lobby by our table um, after the service to talk more. And plus, today we have a special offer for our annual Laugh for Life event. We have $5 off of our tickets for your church today, and those are also available out at the table in the back. Um, and today, to share her new life story, we have Marsha Grund. Marsha's story is unique as she's been personally involved with all three of our program areas and now is a volunteer and advocate for New Life. We're grateful to have Marsha here today. Let's welcome her. New Life Family Services has been part of our family since 2016. <clears throat> that was when our 19-year-old daughter faced an unplanned pregnancy. 
I remember walking through the doors of New Life's First Care Pregnancy Center, and one of the very first things the lady at the desk said was, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're here to educate you and walk through your options with you. That was such a beautiful first step. It was also challenging because from there, my daughter went back down the hallway into an office and shut the door for counseling. But that's the way she wanted it, and that's the way it needed to be. I found myself sitting in the lobby alone, so I looked at all of the brochures and tried to learn as much I could as I could about the place we were in and what services they offer. Little did I know I would be back in that office myself in the months to come. On a side note, with the help of New Life Family Services, our daughter went on to single parent. She chose life in our home and then courageously and lovingly made an adoption plan for an open adoption with her son when he was 12 weeks old. That's a story for another day. Let's rewind the clock. As newlyweds, my husband and I struggled with years of infertility, followed by two miscarriages, and then the birth of our daughter, April. What a blessing. We then got pregnant again. We were delighted. And then utter devastation. At 23 weeks pregnant, we received news that our unborn baby had a medical diagnosis of trisomy 18. In the year 1997, approximately 50% of babies born with trisomy 18 lived longer than one week, and less than 10% lived longer than one year. The oldest living child with trisomy 18 in 1997 was 13 years old. Because of the timing of the discovery and my health, we were told we had one week to make a decision. The decision was either to deliver by 24 weeks with absolutely no chance of survival or to go full term with a 96% chance of dying at birth and a larger chance of dying before three months old. I wish I could say that we prayed day and night and sought God's perspective. We received pastoral counsel, but Pastor Ralph did not tell us what to do. He cried right along with us, and he prayed over us and with us. We focused on our earthly human selves and our vision of how our world might look so very different with wheelchairs, doctor visits, medications, and a one-year-old. We made our decision. Cody's induction and birth was on April 30, 1997, at 24 weeks gestation. He took his final breath upon delivery. Fast forward to 2018 and a program I question if it was for me. This program was from a brochure in the waiting room at New Life Family Services. I made an appointment and told the counselor I wasn't sure if it was for me. She said she couldn't tell me that and would walk beside me while I figured it out. One of the assignments in the program was to write a letter to your child, expressing your feelings. I love to write and I journal all the time, but I had never written a letter to Cody. I would like to share just a portion of that letter with you. I wish I had a stronger faith then, but I didn't. I wish someone would have convinced me this was an abortion, but they didn't. I wish I didn't care about the medical diagnosis and the statistics, but I did. I wish I could have fought to save you, Cody, but I didn't. I wish I didn't end your life 21 years ago, but the fact is I did, and I can't change that. In my skewed thinking, I thought I loved you so much that I didn't want to see you suffer and struggle every minute of every day of your life, the short life that doctors and statistics said you would have. 
If I trusted in the Lord, I would have known he would provide what we needed every single step of the way. If I had complete faith in God, I would have lived out his word that told me you, Cody, were not an accident and that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Cody, I'm so sorry for the life you didn't get to live here on earth. I'm moving into a new healing place now, and the first piece for me is to accept the things I cannot change. Cody, I cannot change the decision your dad and I made to end your life. That was abortion. I have now accepted that. Reaching this new stage, I can give thanks to God. I can thank him for the life he created in me that I got to feel and grow for 24 weeks inside my womb. I can thank him for your life, Cody, in that I have been able to walk with two other couples with trisomy 18 who buried their infants. I can thank him for your life and how he has shaped me to love every child and help them know his love and their significance in life. I can thank him for your life, and if there was never you, there wouldn't be Adam and Brandon, your little brothers. I can thank him for you and the blessing of gifting me with empathy after bearing you. And I can thank him for my empty arms experience to walk with your sister April and her empty arms through adoption. I can thank him for our story, Cody, and for forgiveness and redemption. And my letter goes on. The question that I asked my counselor on the very first day of my individual program was, I don't know technically if this program is for me. You see, the name of this program at New Life is Conquers Restoring Hope After Abortion. The Conquers program recognizes that how you came to your decision is unique and that your path will be unique as well. I ended the life of my child during pregnancy. Yes, that program was and is for me. Some people have asked if my husband, Jeff, um, went through the program with me. The answer is no, technically, but yes. As I was sitting in the dining room week after week doing home assignments and such, he would come out, ask me what the topic was of the week, and he sat and cried and healed with me as well. New Life offers help, hope, and healing to those who walk through the doors. We utilize the First Care Pregnancy Center for my daughter's unplanned pregnancy. Uh, education, parenting education services for her single parenting, adoption services for her open adoption that she made, and the Conquerors program for myself. I do want to let you know that New Life Family Services does not offer abortion services. Their Conquerors program offers healing to those who have that in their story. I share my story to give God glory. I share my story to heal. I share my stories for others to know they are not alone. I share to give hope for redemption and freedom. I share because whether you are female or male, young or old, you have or you will, or maybe you are currently walking through storms or carrying guilt and shame, anger, or any other feelings that are part of our human lives. God knows, God sees you, and he is here for each one of us right where we are. Oh, Marcia, Marcia, stay up here. Um, we're going to just pray for Brittany and Marcia and for New Life Family Services and Year of the Just King, and we're talking about justice, and, um, and they're right on the front lines of bringing justice to the unborn. So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for Marcia. We want to thank you so much for Brittany. We want to thank you so much for New Life Family Services and for uh, the work they're doing on the front lines of justice. And uh, God, we want to pray 
that you would empower them, resource them, strengthen them. Uh, Lord, put them exactly where they need to be. Connect them with all the right people they need to connect with so that, uh, so that your kingdom can go forward and that your name can be honored and glorified. We ask for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much, you guys, for coming. I uh, want to just have a few announcements uh, this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, this coming Friday, Friday the 17th, we're going to do a viewing of a program called The Call of the Cosmos. It's a really interesting uh, movie about God's creation. It's very inspiring. So hope you can join us at 7 o'clock for that. Um, uh, on Saturday, the following day, we have got our annual Martin Luther King Jr. Um, uh, observation celebration uh, for years and years now. We've been coming together with a whole bunch of churches uh, in St. Paul to observe Martin Luther King Day. And uh, there's information in your bulletin about the exact location. Uh, it's not too far from here, but it's a very important um, uh, time of observing and, re- and remembering his legacy and uh, remembering uh, the work that we still have to do in uh, ending racial injustice. So you're going to not want to miss that on January 18th uh, in the evening of Saturday. Uh, Peg, is are you here? Yeah, come on up. Um, Peg wants to give us a little more information about, uh, and Annette too, yeah, here we go. I love Annette Bittner. We have been friends for over 10 years now. And Annette and I became friends because in the first couple of years that I met Annette, we had some common experiences together that held memories And we kind of bonded through those experiences. And that made it so that Annette and I have gone through some life together in the last several years. So in one of the songs that we were singing, um, Andrew encouraged us to take the opportunity to reach out and receive the love that God has for us. And one of the ways that God loves us is through each other. Right, Annette? That's right. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. And so the women of this church have a desire to know each other and to be together at different levels. Everybody's kind of at a different place in, you know, relationally. But we're excited because we've already gone through a pilot year of practicing getting together as women. So there were like 11 of us who got together a little over a year ago to say, How can we make this happen organically, that it's not forced, that it feels natural, and that we get to be together in each other's homes? So Annette didn't know she was going to talk this morning, but now I'm going to let you take the next part of the story because you helped initiate this. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So trying to make this quick. So last year around this time, my um, mom, she had just come to move with move in with us in November, and I'm like, wow, how can I get my mom to meet a lot of people, a lot of women in the church? So I asked her, I said, mom, if we had some kind of get-together, would you be open to that? She's like, yeah. So I just brought the idea, emailed some ladies, and just said, hey, can we get together to plan something? And it turned into much more than what we thought it was going to be. Just a year of getting together to fellowship with different ideas, and there's a lot of cool ideas coming for this year ahead. So, yeah, that's my part of the story. So, we thought it would be fun for you to see the 11 women who were part of that team, um, who kind of, 
so that you because then the, we're going into the next year doing something kind of cool that the 11 of us that that were doing this last year we're going to do it again this year once a month there's going to be a women's gathering a women's get together and uh, but this time we 11 are going to partner with someone else who would like to host but maybe doesn't want to do it alone, doesn't want to do it in their own home, or just would rather have a partner to do it with. So we're going to pair up this year. And if the 11 women that are here this morning, could you, that we're at the meeting planning, could you guys stand up so that everyone can see who you are? Okay, take a look. Look around the room. Women, if you are interested in pairing up and hosting either in your home or in the home of the women that you see, there's so many re, you know, creative ways we can do this. We're all interested in connecting with you to create an event to invite women to come uh, and get together. Each one of us has each picked a month. December of next month is not taken yet, but each of us have a month. So if you want to connect with one of us, help host, we each have a month, find out what our month is. And if no one approaches us, we will approach you because we think this is a good thing. And it's been a, good, a great year getting to know each other. So, yeah. And, and just one more thing. As you can see, we look different. She's tall. I'm short. I won't say the one that's very, everyone can see. Um, I'm kind of dressed way down today because I really want to dance today. And my sister here, she's dressed up. See, so we're all different. So we're not trying to be like the same. We want to mix it up, okay? Because the kingdom is so big and so diverse and our church represents that. So come on, ladies, let's do this. Great, thanks. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Peg is uh, one of our elders and Annette is our, our youth director. So let's give him a hand and uh, thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to skip the next uh, slide. If you could go to the one after that. Speaking of connecting, um, there are so many opportunities to connect. Uh, if you look in your bulletin right now, you're going to find a sheet of paper in there that uh, talks about all the different small groups. We call them connect groups uh, that are, thank you, it's on a blue sheet this time. Uh, this is uh, all the ones that are going on right now. We've got a new one starting up this Thursday at the Nash's house. There's some Nash's right there. Nice people. And... Uh, um, and that one's going to start this Thursday. Uh, Wednesday night, I know uh, one of their groups, is, uh, they've been inviting a lot of people. They're going to do a DVD series. There's a lot of really cool things uh, that are happening. These small groups are, are a, a great way to connect uh, with other people. So whether it's the women's group every, uh, every month, if you're a woman, or uh, one of these small groups, uh, you're going to want to connect, and all the details are right here. So thank you very much. Um, keep your bulletin out, and you'll notice something cool and new on the covers. If uh, the worship team could come come on up, and uh, Andy is going to uh, that 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 piece of art on your bulletin cover was created by our very own Andy Mork, who has also been leading us in worship this morning. And uh, yeah, he we need to cheer him on because it's a beautiful piece of art. Um, this is the piece of art uh, Andy has created uh, to express this year's theme, the year of the just king. And so Andy is going to share a little bit about how he came to this uh, piece of art, uh, the creative process behind it. And, uh, and, and uh, before he does that, if the ushers could come forward, we're going um, uh, to pray for the offering. And, um, and you guys can, uh, we're going to pray for it, and uh, then 
Um, you guys can start passing it around as soon as the, the music starts. Um, uh, so in addition to your regular tithes and offerings, uh, we are also collecting money for New Life Family Services. And so if you would like to give to New Life Family Services, make the checkout to Bethel, but then in the memo, you could write New Life Family Services or you could just write NLFS and uh, we'll be sure that, that those funds go, go directly to New Life Family Services. So I'm going to pray for it and then Andy's going to go ahead and you guys can just hold that until uh, uh, ready to sing. So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for um, what you provided for us. In this new year, we know you have taken care of us. And so we want to ask that the funds we give back, Lord, that that would be used for the spread of your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Andy. Uh, in, in the fall, when our pastors were talking about uh, kind of going into those difficult subjects about uh, sexual things and money and power, I started thinking about uh, justice, and uh, at the time, Brenda had uh, encouraged me or been talking about this group, House Fires, so I've been listening to this House Fires song, Coming Home, that we're going to do uh, next, and uh, it got me thinking about how much the justice in the story of the prodigal son doesn't make sense, So, um, and I thought back... Um, about that. So for my senior research project in college about 150 years ago, uh, I researched Rembrandt and his artwork based on the Bible. One thing that I learned was uh, that in, his, in the course of all of his artwork, he showed a maturation. When he, when he was young and uh, he got started, and like most artists at that time, he was, it was, this was the 1600s, he made money through getting paid by the church and therefore, all of his artworks were primarily biblical artworks. Um, so he was paid for illustrations, and uh, he started off, and he did a lot of lithographs, a lot of black and white. And he did many artworks showing the miracles and biblical events, almost as magic or sorcery, with lots of action and dramatic lighting. But in this painting, done, uh, this was done in the two years before his death, when he died in uh, 1669, and we see uh, a different thing that he was, can you walk? Um, that he, he was known for focusing later on his life in relationships. Gone is the drama, and what we're left with is one of the most iconic biblical portrayals. The younger son and the father become one figure. So if you look at that painting, you can see the younger son is at the feet of the father. And this painting is really known for that, this kind of unity of the, of the father. Um, Rembrandt has painted them from the front, not the side as many artists did or do, but here the envelopment of the son by the arms of the father shows the unity of the figures. So I was thinking about all these, you know, times when I was kind of thinking about people who've experienced brokenness. Um, and, uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the prodigal son from Luke. So if you remember, this is Jesus telling the story. And uh, he gets to the point where, uh, in the story, I'm going to skip the beginning. Um, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
And if you remember what was going on in Jesus' time, he's preaching to the Jews, right? The Jews are huge on rules. And uh, people are still stoned, right? There's still people being stoned for not following the rules um, of the time. And so that's the audience that Jesus is telling the story to, like people who are really concerned about those rules. So this was just a revolutionary view of God. Well, and so the son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Um, I want you to, for just a minute, to think back um, about yourself and put yourself in a similar moment as the son. Think about when you were still living with parents or a parent figure, and one day you made a life-changing decision. You wanted to use the car, and you were told no by a parental unit. You waited until you knew you could get away with it, and you took your family's car. You were so excited until, as you made the bad choice to eat in the car while enjoying your wonderful freedom, you missed a traffic signal, you were hit, and the car was totaled. The police called your house, and you were close enough, and the police said your parent said to walk home. And as you were walking up the street, thinking about all the consequences you knew were about to descend on you. You looked up, and there was your house and the front door, and suddenly the front door is thrown open, and your parent sprints out of the house and continues to run directly at you at full speed from a long way off. You can see them coming right for you. Now, you don't know the end of this story. <laughs> what passes through your mind? What do you think awaits you as they run for you? Uh, I thought this fall about the brokenness that I felt in coming to church and having to think about God's heart and my use of money, about God's heart and my sexuality, about God's heart and the power differential when I have to discipline my children. In this song, there's a verse, let the prodigals come home, let all the prodigals come home. That's one thing to come home to God and feel like you are sliding in the back door. On the last little rabbit trail on the story, when we were in South Carolina this past summer, we went to a southern plantation, and one of the things that struck me was the multiple entrances to plantations. There was a door for slaves, a door for hired help, both on the side of the house, a door for business guests closer to the front, and then the front door was for guests of the family. If you were hired help, you knew you didn't look for the owner at the front door, but you headed to your side entrance. But in the story, Jesus is crystal clear. The father is watching. And upon seeing the younger son, the father starts running. Must have been at that entrance watching. And now the father is sprinting, sprinting towards the younger son. The father sprinting towards the broken the Father, sprinting towards me despite my brokenness. And in the song, I can hear you calling. Come back home. That's what I was thinking about as I thought about justice and the just king. The just king has a father. 
And that father has a much different view of justice than we do. As you look at the bulletin covers this year, I hope you hear this song we are going to sing during the offering. I hope you think about Rembrandt's painting and you know that the Father is calling you home. As sixth graders illuminate, you can go ahead and exit your class. You make you not sure if you want to come home or if you want to come in the front door or if you want to sneak in the side door. And even when you come to church, maybe there's some things where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to church this week, after this week. Um, maybe it's abortion. Maybe you have, feel some shame, feel some, maybe you feel some anger. Maybe I don't know what you feel around abortion. Maybe it's about money or sex or power or um, any, I don't know. It could be anything that happened this week. But we have a just and loving Father King who really is saying, come home. Turn around from where you are and come home. And so I just want to pray for us before we continue. And if you guys could just do that in the background. Uh, Lord, we just give us the chorus in the background. Lord, we, we come to you not because we're worthy, because you're worthy. Not because we're so loving, but because you're so loving. Not because we're so just or righteous, but because of your justice and righteousness that you want to give to us. Lord, I don't know what, what each of us has gone through this week. I know what I went through this week things that make me hesitate and wonder. Your grace is enough. If I'm enough, your love is enough. You are enough. Your love is enough. Lord, we want to come home to your arms. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for welcoming us not as a slave or a hired hand, but as a son and a daughter. And saying, you are my dearly loved son and daughter. You bring me great joy. When we come out of the pig pen, you bring me great joy. So Lord, we thank you for your love. We pray now as we go to your word that we would hear your love, your justice, your hope this word from you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Andy and Beth um, and Rembrandt. Um, uh, nice to have an art teacher as well as a musician. Um, so we uh, welcome to each of you to, and to Bethel Christian Fellowship. As you're already welcome, Pastor Andrew already welcomed you. I guess I'm Pastor Steve. And we are um, continuing to introduce our theme for this year. Um, and there's a lot of different um, ramifications of it or directions from it. So we, we looked last time at how, how Jesus was introduced in Matthew as the 
um, as the Messiah, the, the just king who is coming. Um, I want to back up a little bit. So 27, 2018, we were talking about increasing trust. We're still talking about increasing trust, increasing trust with God and with each other. Um, we moved on to a year of living justice, and we felt like we hadn't finished that theme. We, we'd finished the books of Moses, and we had uh, done some stuff about just money, just power, just sex. And, um, but we weren't quite done with that as we were talking a few months back. But we felt like the focus sometimes can, in this can get to be too much about us and how we're supposed to be living justice and how not just about God's living justice. So this year, we introduced last time as a year for the just king. So we want to keep our focus on the just king and not about so much how we can bring justice, but about him and his kingdom and his justice and his rule. And so um, when you look at that theme, I'm guessing that you might be asking this question. Do you want a king? How does that make you feel? If I, do you really want a king? I mean, not, not only symbolically, but I mean, do you want a king? And why? Why do you want a king or why do you not want a king? As you feel about that question, why do you feel like you want a king? Why do you feel like you don't want a king? Uh, so turn to somebody next to you and tell them why you think a king is a bad idea, think why I think a king is a good idea, and you can come at it from any direction you want, okay? However it triggered for you, whatever you want or don't want about a king. And preferably find somebody who he didn't come with, but if you... Okay, can anybody tell me why they want a king or why they don't want a king? We're not going to really take a vote, but we're just, uh, you know, give me some uh, reasons on both sides. Why do you want a king or why don't you want a king? You don't want a king because you don't want people telling you what to do. Okay, all right. There's an honest person. Somebody else. Ah, Okay. I don't know what to do, so I'd like somebody to tell me what to do. All right, good. Yeah. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. All right. Somebody else? Yeah. How do you know you can trust them? Yeah, what? Yeah, what? Mm. I only want a good king, she says. How do you know if they're a good king and you can trust them, right? Yeah, okay. What's that? Okay, too cynical to think there's such a thing as a good king. Yeah, 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 okay. Was Winter. Okay. So King Jesus, yes. 
but no other king. No king but Jesus. That's what, that's what the Virginians called in the 1776. Yep. A good king brings order. So does a bad king, right? Just depends on what kind of order. Right, okay. Well, let's... let's um, so we talked about Matthew introduced that the Magi, these... Uh, so we talked about how there, there were these diviners and sorcerers and magicians who we were told in the Old Testament to not go there. We should learn from God's proper prophets. And yet these diviners, sorcerers, these, these Babylonian people came and asked for the true king, the king of the Jews, the, the just king. And they actually ended up with the unjust king asking Herod, right? So... Uh, we had good kings and bad kings right there. Um, so Luke introduces with some similar stuff about the king, the Messiah has come. Mark skips all that birth stuff and jumps right in to Jesus preaching. And Jesus' first words out of his mouth are, the kingdom of God is near. So what, what did that mean to people in that context? What The kingdom of God? Somehow they knew what he was talking about because they had a history with this concept, this desire. So he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So he told them the direction you're going, you should repent, turn around, and trust in the good news. Why was it good news for them? So now we're going to put it in reverse. We're going to back way, way up. Okay? And um, I want to Take a running shot at this because uh, we want to go from where we ended in the book of Moses to where we just introduced the idea in uh, the Gospels. So th these are themes found throughout the whole Bible. Kingdom and justice and righteousness. In the biblical story, those are huge themes that are throughout the story. So we, we talked about this before. Relationships as God created them just and right and blessed in Genesis 1 and 2, and then they became unjust relationships, and we get a bunch of examples of that going from family to society to between nations and ethnic groups, and then God comes with his plan to build a great, just, holy nation or kingdom. Now, how does it go from nation to kingdom? So he promises to Abraham that he's going to bless him and make him a great nation, and all ethnic groups in the world are going to be blessed through Abraham and this nation that he's going to make him into. And so we ask, well, what does a nation need, right? They need God. They need Yahweh. And the truth is, there's no justice without Yahweh. There's no justice without Jesus. That's God is the source. And it needs people. So we saw how there was no, Abraham didn't have any kids. And then there were finally some kids. And then they were, they were pharaohs. And then Pharaoh finally let my people go. And then they became a people, God's people. And Israel took that place of the nation who was chosen by God to bless all ethnic groups. And then he gave them this law about now that you're mine, my people, here's the just culture and the way we're going to do it in the instructions in the Torah, which we usually call the law. Um, and he talked about how they should do that. Um, so, but the point of the, the big theme is throughout this, Yahweh is the just king. They get freed from Pharaoh, 
who was the unjust king, and they turn and say, yeah, we're going to have Yahweh as our God and as our king. Um, and Psalm 93 to 100 talks a lot about God as king, king of creation, and the king of justice. So just a couple of snippets. Yahweh is king. Let the earth rejoice. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Mighty king, lover of justice, you have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. So that theme there that we have a just king and that Yahweh is the king, the just king. So Yahweh is their king. They've turned from Pharaoh. They've accepted him as their king and to be his people. And then he fulfills his promise and gives them the land that he promised. So Yahweh demonstrated justice in Exodus. He demands justice in the law. And then he shows that he's going to deliver justice through, through the rest of Scripture. So um, <clears throat> Joshua, in there, God fulfills his promise to give them this land and distributes it fairly so that every basically the number of people in each family get enough land that's evenly distributed to care for them and that it keeps going because of the law. It keeps going back to that so that everybody has enough to continue to have enough food. So then we move on from, so and then in the law, he says this, Leviticus 19, I am Yahweh, your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. Remember we talked about God's way following the footsteps of Yahweh who demonstrates justice is the way of justice. Do not imitate their way, the culture around you. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am Yahweh, your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am Yahweh. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I am your God, your king. Follow my regulations and you'll find life. So they get into the land. They have found this um, blessing. Do they follow his ways? In the time of Joshua and all of those who saw all the miracles, they do. They do pretty good. And then along comes another generation who doesn't really know about that, and they start wandering off. Now, this is a, this is a perpetual problem that younger generations can kind of wander off. Even if, even if somebody gets a hold of it, the next generation doesn't necessarily. It's a problem that's happening in much of the world. Other than Africa, a lot of the younger generations are prone to wander from, and from as much following God as the older generations. Um, so, Judges and Samuel, there really is this question about, is Yahweh king or not? And what about leadership? Should there be a human king? How is society supposed to be organized? So, um, in Judges and Samuel, have this cycle. So, they, they stopped following Yahweh, and they start doing what? Just what he said not to do. They start following the ways of the Canaanites, and especially the Canaanite gods, and they're, they're like, so how do we get rain around here? And they do it. Well, there's this sort of ritual you do, the Baal's involved with. If you just do that, you'll get rain. Oh, okay. So they, they start wandering off into the ways of the Canaanites, the ways they do things. And as they wander away from God, then God very graciously disciplines them and lets them and says, okay, you want to be that way? Then... Let's let another king. You don't like me as king? How about the Moabites? You like them better? 
And so the Moabites come and, and beat up on him, and then, then they cry out to God, oh, save us, save us. And then he sends a justice bringer, a judge, who delivers them. And then they, they worship him usually for the life of that judge, and then the next generation kind of forgets about it, and then they wander off into worshiping other gods, and, and then it's the, somebody else. So he lets the different Canaanite, Canaanites around there, especially at the end, the Philistines come, and Samson, you remember, he's one of those who's trying to bring justice. So there's all these stories of all these judges who are filled with the Holy Spirit to deliver and bring justice by retributive justice against the enemy, distributive justice to, the, to the God's people, and to bring them back to Yahweh as their king instead of Baal or some other god as their king. Okay? We come into Samuel, and so, the, so this question of the kingship comes up. They have these spirit-anointed leaders, but they're not official kings. So the question, Yahweh is the just king. So is Yahweh your king? Is Yahweh our king? And so why would, as we come into, into Samuel, we, we start to get this question of, are we going to have a king or not? And do we need a king? Or is Yahweh good enough? Um, so why do they want a king? Do you want a king and why? So protection is huge. They want a king to fight battles. And provision. We want prosperity. So a king should get the economics right for us. We want economic prosperity. We want to eat. So a king should help us with it. We want pride. Because other nations, they've got these kings with the chariots, and they've got, and they're, I mean, these kings are almost godlike, right? So they're they've got these, I mean, they can say, we are and point to Pharaoh or point to some other local Canaanite king and say, we're something. Look at him. You know people like that, right? Some churches, you know, the pastor drives in a big Mercedes. He has his own parking spot, and people can say, hey, we're somebody. Look at him. Um, some churches, the guy's a TV celebrity, and he's amazing, and you can say, hi, I go to his church. Um, some places we can have, you know, somebody who makes us feel like we're Somebody. You know, some cities, they have great football teams that make you feel like, no, we have a good football team. Not quite good enough this year, but um, some kind of pride in who we are because we've got a great um, leader, right? So protection, provision, and pride. Where do you get those? Who do you hope in to meet your needs for those things and, and any other things. Comfort or as soon as we start hoping in whatever, we start, well, here, um, what happens as we hope in something else? So Earl Jabay has a, has a book called The Kingdom of Self. And he talks about how he he wanted to be a pastor. That didn't really work out, so then he would try to be a counselor. That didn't really work either. Uh, he eventually got into AA and 12 Steps and, and stuff, and he, he found more hope in that. And part of what it helped him see was that as a two-year-old, you start saying, I want to be king. Anybody know a two-and-a-half-year-old? Pretty much. No! Right? Just what Sharon said. No! I want to do it my way. She lives with... Uh, we won't go there, but uh, 
No accusations of specific two-and-a-half-year-olds, but um, she does enough uh, babysitting. So um, I want to be king because once I figure out I'm I'm separate from other people, I want to make sure that I'm in charge so that I can protect my stuff and I can have enough stuff and I can be somebody and nobody's going to make fun of me, right? So I want to be king. And that leads to slavery. That's what Earl Jabez says. As soon as you say, I'm going to be king, you end up enslaved to something. It might be drink. It might be work. It might be uh, whatever. could be a good thing. But you end up enslaved to that thing. And the only freedom is in submission to God as king. The kingdom of God is your only hope. Um, And you also have to submit to human leadership he appoints. So when you say, Jesus is my only king, sometimes that can be followed with, so don't tell me what to do. Jesus is my only king. Right? So it depends upon how we mean um, submitting to God. Because you can't really submit to God and not submit to anybody else. Because God puts some leadership in our lives. And even as leaders, we have people leading our lives who we need to submit to. So the kingdom of self says, I'm in charge, and you're not going to be. And it ends up in slavery. The only hope is to submit to God. Now, so we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil in traditional enemies of the faith. So the world is society. Or I'm, I'm trying to make it an acronym. So besides Satan, we also have kingdom of self and the kingdom of society. The world tells us how to do things. And we say, I want to be king. I want my people to be king. I want us to be king. I want our kingdom to be bigger. I want, and that too leads to slavery. And it leads to being slaves to something else and and not being free and in the kingdom of God. Um, So, let's look a little bit at Do you want a king? Why? In the book of Judges, we have this tension. No, we don't want a king. Gideon says it. No, the negative is, why do we want a king? No, we don't want a king. Negatively, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. The epilogue to the book of of Judges says, society was messed up because everybody just did what they wanted. That's exactly what Sharon was saying. I don't want a king because I want to do what I want. So in American history, we got rid of King George, and that could have be a good thing, could be a bad thing. If in our system of government, what we're really trying to do is, I want to do my own thing and have nobody else tell me what to do. Freedom and independence is like the number one value for us as Americans, is it not? And we take it to the fullest extent of nobody tell me what to do. Right? That's not, that's actually a negative thing. You have a society where everybody is doing their own thing and ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Ain't no kid going to let any parents tell them what to do. Ain't no employee going to let any boss tell them what to do. Ain't no, it ends up as chaos, right? Um... For despite all the freedom, we end up in slavery, right? Um, So 
when it was about everybody doing their own thing, that was the negative side of not having a king. The positive side of no to the king was what Gideon said. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son Yahweh will rule over you. So they tried to make Gideon king. They said, hey, you've won this victory for us. You'll be king and your son's after you. We'll make a dynasty out of you. You can be. And he said, no, I'm not going to rule over you. Neither of my sons going to rule over you because Yahweh is our king. And that was the right answer. And then he said, oh, but one little thing, if you'd give me a little bit of gold, maybe I'd make a little ephod. And then that got to be a snare and idolatry. And then one of his sons said, you know what? I'd like to be king. And that was a chaos. But anyway, they played with it. Um, but throughout there, the idea was God appointed leaders, spirit-filled, charismatic, because they were spirit-filled, leaders that led people as God directed. But they didn't have official titles. They were... Spirit-appointed leaders. Now, when we get to Samuel, oh, that's what I just mentioned about the Virginians. No king but Jesus. That was their rally cry in the Revolutionary War. Thanks to Andrew for that one. No king but Jesus. And that was what they were saying. We don't want King Henry. Now, no king but Jesus is great unless it gets to the Confederacy and no king but Jesus means so we can keep our slaves or Jim Crow or uh, whatever. If the point is no king but Jesus so we can be king, and we can be in charge, and we can be the ones who are privileged. So when it comes to the year of the just king, that's bad news if you're on top and privileged and have the status quo is working for you, right? For the people who are not, a new order and a just king is good news. That's why it was good news when he said the kingdom of God is coming to these people who were oppressed by the Romans. They're like, yes, finally. A new king, a just king, not Herod. So, backing up to uh, 1 Samuel 8. If you'll open your Bibles, there's a Bible right in front of you. You didn't bring one. To 1 Samuel 8. So in the book of Samuel, Samuel is got this miraculous birth. He is born um, to a woman who can't have kids. But Eli prays over her. Samuel's born. And then Samuel... Um, as he's growing up, something happens that they are getting by the Philistines and they think, you know what? Let's take God with us. You know, he's, God's in that promise he'd be in that Ark of the Covenant. So let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle and then we'll win. And when the Philistines hear that the Ark is there, they're like, oh no, the gods are here. Their gods are coming. The, the Philistines are all scared, but you know what? They beat up on the Israelites. They take the Ark. Because God is not a magic, you can't put God in a box. He's not magic. You don't get to, he is king. So you don't get to say, you know what, God bless me and my stuff. God, would you just take care of this? Would you just pray over my wallet so it'll never be empty? Will you just, um, he's not. And what happens, the, so the Philistines are like, all right, we capture their God. Now we got their God. You know what happened? They put him in the temple next to their God. Their God falls down on his face. They set him back up. The next day he falls down on his face. He's all broken up. They go, and they all start getting sick. So they send him to the next town. And they all start getting tumors. And then they, they're like, get him out of here. So they finally like get rid of Yahweh because they can't handle Yahweh. Because it turns out they can't put Yahweh in a box either. Israelites can't put Yahweh in a box. Philistines can't put Yahweh in a box. Because Yahweh is king. He's in nobody's box. 
Now, there's a lot of us who have been influenced by a kind of theology that says you can put God in a box. Say the name of Jesus loud enough, paint the blood of Jesus over something, say the right kind of prayer, have the right kind of theology, do the right kind of uh, whatever, and God will do what you want him to do. Mm -mm. You never get to be king over Yahweh. doesn't turn out that way. You can try, but it doesn't turn out that way. He does what he wants to do. Now, we can get on board with him if he's our king, but it doesn't work the other way around. So, um, so then Samuel says, you know what? You all have to come here, repent of your sins, put away your idols. They fast, they pray, they repent. And then the Philistines are like, oh, there they are. Let's go get them. And then they have huge, win this huge victory over the Philistines. The issue was not having God in the box. The issue was not having a king to lead them. The issue was, were they following Yahweh as king? When they were repenting and Yahweh was really their king, Yahweh protected them. He provided for them. He gave them victory because they were in his kingdom. Okay? That's the issue. But now we get to, so that's in chapter 7, chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. I hope you got your Bible open there. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges, justice bringers for Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba, which is a while south where he was. But his sons did not walk in his ways. His ways were just. You look at, at chapter 12, he says, did anybody ever, did I ever bribe anybody? Did I ever take anything? Did I ever, and, and I, Please let me pay it back. They say, no, 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 you, you were just all the time. Samuel is a judge, the last judge, the first prophet. He's representing God. And um, so, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepted bribes, and perverted justice. So they got a problem. Samuel's getting old, and they got a justice problem. So the elders of Israel gathered together and said to Samuel at Ramah, they said to him, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So, do you want a king? Yeah, they want a king. Why do they want a king? They have a negative reason for wanting a king. Give us a king like all the other nations have. All the other nations have these powerful godlike kings. There's kings that protect them and provide for them and give them that pride. They're trusting a king instead of Yahweh. And so let's read on what it says. But when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. It's not you they rejected, Sam. You may feel rejected, but it's me they've rejected as their king. As they've done from the day I've brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the, what the king who will reign over them will do. So Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king 
who will reign over you will do. Now this is prophetic. It's also, he could just look around and say, see that kingdom, see that kingdom? But it was prophetic. He said, this is what the king will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. So you're going to draft your sons into the military. They're going to be infantrymen. They're going to be cavalry. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll make the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkey he will take for his own. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and Yahweh will not answer you in that day. So he's saying, you know what? Kings usually bring injustice. They're going to draft your sons. They're going to take your daughters. They're gonna, you're already paying a tithe to take care of the poor and take care of the, the sanctuary, but they're going to add another tithe. They're going to tax you in addition to the tax you've already got, because they want to be king and they want to have a big administration. You think, oh yeah, they got the big entourage. Somebody's got to pay for that entourage and it's going to be you. And you're going to end up as slaves. You got rid of Pharaoh. I delivered you from Pharaoh. Now you're choosing to be slaves to a human king again. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go up before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before Yahweh, and Yahweh answered, listen to them and give them a king. Samuel said, everyone go back to your town. So, and then there's a whole story about how uh, Samuel, how Saul is chosen. Uh, chapter 12, verse 12, he said, says, but to Samuel says to them, but when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though Yahweh your God was your king. Now here's the king you've chosen and the one you asked for. See, Yahweh has set a king over you. This is Saul. If you fear Yahweh and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow Yahweh your God, good. But if you do not obey Yahweh and if you rebel against his commands, his hands will be against you as it was against your fathers. And then, um, so, the negative reason is trusting that a king is going to give us the protection and the provision and everything else that all the other nations have. So listen, folks, the world has a way to feel protected. The world has a way to be provided for and find prosperity. The world has a way to be proud. Maybe it's their football team. Maybe it's their flag. Maybe it's their economic power. If we follow that way, we take Jesus down. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's just be honest. This is an election year. There's a reason I picked the, the theme for the just king for 2020 because there's going to be a temptation in this election year for us to think that some kind of king 
or some kind of party or some kind of senator is going to solve our problems and give us protection, provision, prosperity, pride. But if we hope in that, false gods never fail to fail. They're going to fail us. Okay? And there's no party that lines up with Scripture. I, well, that's my opinion. But I don't see the current situation such that any of those is going to bring the kingdom of God here. Okay? And there's no economic prosperity that's going to get it for us. Okay? So there's no, there's no system of economics. I, I'm, I'm good with capitalism, but it's not the answer. I'm good with democracy. I think it's better than the options. But that's not our hope. Okay? And if you make it your hope, you're going to be disappointed. And anything else can be your hope, too. Okay? Even your denomination, your, your, your family, or your... There's lots of other false hopes we can have. All right? There is only one king who can do what we need done. Now, there is a positive reason to have a king. A king submitted to Yahweh and his word and anointed by his spirit to serve and bring justice was possible. We're going to look next time at David and the Davidic king. And here's the amazing thing. From my reading of this, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but it seems like God doesn't want a king. He wants to be their king, right? But God adapts to the system they choose and he doesn't give up on them. I mean, systems matter, okay? But why and how we use the systems really matter, okay? How we do our politics, how we do our economics, why we do it. And if we're really putting God as king, how you live your life and how you do your relationships and who is really king in that matters. And honestly, it's not easy for me, even this week, to wake up and say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to open up my to-do list and my calendar, and say, what do I need to get done? And easy to rush into that before I say, God, what do you want to get done in my day? And God, you know, things come and they interrupt my calendar and my to-do list and the relationship I wanted to have with people and how I want people to treat me. And you know what happens? I get a little annoyed. Because I wanted to be king. And I wanted to run my own... Shouldn't I be able to run my own schedule? Shouldn't I be able to decide how my money is going to be spent? And my time is going to be spent? And how, who I'm going to relate to? Anybody else have any kind of those feelings ever? Some of you. Okay. All right. Pearly once in a while. Um... But when I dig down, I realize, you know what? I'm kind of wanting to be king myself. And I don't want anybody else to be king because I don't want them telling me what to do. 
or I want our person to be king so we're in charge, so we won't be invaded, so we won't have anything taken away from us, so that we won't, and that fear can keep me protecting instead of trusting. It becomes not a year of increasing trust in God that he's got this, he can take care of it, but a year of fear and fear of those people and fear of that because it could all get messed up. I've got good news for you, folks. Yahweh is still king. A lot of people don't recognize it, don't realize it, don't want it at all. But Yahweh is still king. And Yahweh is still going to bring his kingdom. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that's a prayer that's going to be answered. It's answered in little ways, daily, but at some point, well, Jesus shows up, right? And then it doesn't turn out exactly like that. But then if you flip to the end of the book, like uh, Revelation eleven fifteen or so, it says the kingdoms of this world had become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. 11.15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Remember Daniel's vision, those great gold statue with a big gold head and the bronze and all those, all those kingdoms. And you know what? There's this rock comes out of the mountain not made by human hands and it just wipes that thing to smithereens and grows and fills the earth. The kingdom of God, folks, is the future. The kingdom of the Republicans or the Democrats or America or capitalism or um, Minnesota or the Vikings, not a lot of future. It's fine. It's no, no problem. No, yeah, I'm not, I, I like Minnesota. I like the Vikings. Um, I'm glad we have a good, I, I'm glad for the good things of our government. I'm glad for all of it, but don't put your hope there. Don't put your trust there. Don't put your anger there. Don't put your fear there. Because it's not going to last. I know it's hard to believe that because what God's doing isn't very visible. He kind of likes to do the mustard seed and the hidden thing. But I see him moving. And I see him bringing justice. And it doesn't follow particular political parties. I see him bringing justice for the poor and the marginalized, for different races, for different countries, for the born and the unborn, for, for all kinds of people that, and, and for people who've made bad choices. People made maybe a little better choices. None of us have made perfect choices. Um, and you know that's okay too, because God's king and he's gracious. Um, so, back to the question Do you want a king? And why do you want a king? Do you want a king? For yourself, or for us, my people, 
so we can win? Or do you want to submit to the only just king? Do you want him to actually run your life? Do you believe he could run your life better than you can? Do you think he could run our church better than we can? Our city better than we can? Our country and the countries of the world better than we can? Now, how we work that out, how we make that practical, we have lots of discussions there. But he has demonstrated, so where are we going to get protection? Do we really trust God to protect us? Can we trust God to protect us? Now, we have to organize society in ways that are also going to make sure people are protected, but can we trust God to protect us? Or do we have to be in, in fear all the time? Can we trust God to provide for us? Or do we have to have all the savings and all the right kind of jobs and all the right kind of education so that somehow we can control our economic destiny? Financial independence is an illusion, folks. Because a lot of ma people making money off of selling you that. We're all dependent on God. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be smart, shouldn't, you know, save some money and move toward, but financial independence isn't going to happen because you are dependent on God. You might as well admit it and let him control your finances. Pride. Is my pride because of how good I am at something? or how educated, or how experienced, or, or some title, or some, um, to some family situation, or something I've done, or what, or, or that I'm an American, or that I'm a Minnesotan, or that, I'm, uh, that the Vikings won, or, or lost, or what? Where does my pride come from? And where does my fear come from? Now, we're going to meet Saul next week, and uh, Saul, he's got a tape running in his head. Do they like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? And because he's got that question, do they like me? Do they like me? Running in his head. He compromises on obeying God. Because the tape, what does God want, gets drowned out by the, do they like me? Do they like me? And Rehoboam said, do they respect me? Rehoboam fulfills that thing about slavery, right? They come and they say, would you lighten the taxes and the, and the, and the burdens that Solomon put on us? And he asked the council, he said, lighten, it, lighten up and serve them and they'll serve you. And the young people said, tell them, you think my dad was tough, I'm going to be tougher. Do they respect me? What's the tape that runs in your head? As I'm pastoring this church, sometimes I can slip into the tape of, do they like me? Do they respect me? Often I slip into the tape, am I good enough? Not, not just in pastoring, but in a lot of things. Um, am I perfect enough? Did I do, use my time well enough? Did I prepare well enough? Did I, did I answer that person well enough? Did I, how many tapes 
take a minute. Tell me what, think you, to yourself, what tape runs in your head? Especially when things jiggle a little bit. What question runs in your head? One of the things that's different about David is he seems to ask the question, what does God want? And his son, Jesus, the question that was always in his head was, what's the Father doing? Where is the Father moving? How can I enter into what God is doing? The Father is at work. Where do I get to enter into that? If I could ask that question, where's God moving? What's the Father doing? Where is Jesus bringing justice? How could I today, if I woke up in the morning and said, God, what are you doing today? Give me a glimpse, like Samuel did. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And you know what? Samuel heard. And because Samuel heard, he was able to bring justice to the people, just in individual cases, in fighting the Philistines, in deciding how to answer when they wanted a king, in deciding what to do with Saul, what to do with David, what to do... Because Samuel was listening. Not to his internal tapes and doubts and questions and how am I going to be protected. He was listening. What are you doing, king? Yahweh, what, what do you want? Who do you hope in to meet your needs? Where is your hope? Um, if the worship team could come up. Now here's the good news. Remember it said, repent and believe the good news. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's come with Jesus. And the good news is even when they messed up, even when they picked some human king who was going to lead them into slavery, God didn't say, well, fine then. God is gracious. That's what this is all about. He's a, a gracious father, a just father. Now, some of us seem to confuse justice and love and grace and seem to think they're like opposites. They're not. We want a father who does the right thing and the just thing, as well as a father who is totally loving, right? And God is that. And he wants to welcome you. The good news, he's, he's gracious. Whatever the system is, he works with it. Whatever mistakes you've made, he works with that. But he only works when we come home. He's only able to work when we say, okay, king, what do you want? We have to fight on our knees. We have to surrender to win. But the just king and the loving father is ready to bring both his love and, and his justice. You know, um, let's, let's uh, yeah, go ahead. 
Not sure whether to sing the song about God's justice and kingship or about God's grace, because they're both true. They're both part of the same thing. Would you stand up? And I want to invite you to come to the front. There's going to be people to pray with you. If you don't want somebody to pray with you, you just want to kneel here and pray yourself, that's fine. Um, but can I have some of the elders? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, King of kings, Lord of creation, Lord of justice, King, go into this week, this world, in his blessing, under his rulership, and in his grace. Be blessed. Amen. Let's sing that again.